0: Hi, Danelle.
1: Hey, Richard.
0: We're back hosting You, Me, and CBD.
1: Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode where we learn about CBD. This is Season 1, Episode 8, How CBD Gets from the Field to Formulation. If everyone would just say hello, I'd appreciate it.
2: Hello. Hello. I'm very excited about today. (laughs) Hello. You are excited about today. I am excited about today.
1: This is why we're going to have the Blake Show in about 3, 2, 1. We're going to ask about manufacturing and how the CBD gets in the bottle.
3: All right, but before we get into it, I want to talk for a second about why this is important, why we would do a podcast on manufacturing. Um, this is really, really important when you consider how many products are on the market, where all these products come from, um, whether or not they work, and the science behind all of that. And it really starts out in the field. It's not the product that, I mean, think about it. If you're putting something in your mouth, a capsule or a drop, or you're rubbing something on your skin, you want to know that what you're getting is safe and that it's going to work. And so for CBD, it really starts, right, Blake? Right in the
2: field. If With the seedling in the field, and the
3: soil and everything that goes into absolutely. producing the plant. Absolutely. So let's start there.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is so exciting. I'm going to speak quick. (laughs) Um, So to your point, um, it starts with genetics. And so the interesting thing about CBD is getting the right form of genetics is extremely important for what types of medicine and formulations you can do at the end process, right? So if I have a high CBD strain and I go through the whole process then I will end up with more product at the end of that and a more pure product. And you're Whereas, talking
3: about a high CBD strain of hemp, right? Of we're, hemp, ta- we're, talking hemp we're talking about hemp and that's that's where our products are yep. derived
2: from. Yep. It, this is the topic of why people started calling me the hemperer because I started, uh, which we love, <laughs> which, because I have, I have grown, you know, oh my gosh, more acres than I can count probably and extracted millions of pounds uh, of industrial hemp. Um, and so it starts with genetics. Now some, there's a lot of interesting things that we won't go into because just talking about the agriculture and the farming and how to make it organic already. And you know, just kidding. (laughs) um, (laughs) micronutrients, light cycles. I mean, there's so many interesting things on the science end of how to get a really, really nice hemp plant. And it's slightly different than what you would do with other types of cannabis plants. But having said all of that, let's say that your soil is good. You have the right light, you have the right growing season, and you produce successfully nice hemp plants. From there, you have to send that to a manufacturer. And that manufacturer is going to, uh, before we get there, you need to go ahead and cut down your hemp. Right. And you want to pull off all your flower. Now, there are some people. So is it
3: just flour? Because some people talk about whole plants Oh, yeah. Versus, you know, just the flower versus just the top of the plant. I mean, so let's talk about that for a second.
2: All right, so this probably has some implications on the legal side. Um, so what happens is, typically speaking, most farmers leave their plants in the ground as long as they can. And the reason they do that is because it will increase the total amount of CBD production within the plant itself. Okay, But it also increases the THC production. Ah. And there is the national rules about it. You have to be below 0.3%. So if you leave your plants in too long... And you've now violated that rule. Typically speaking, the way that that has to be handled is the Department of Ag of whatever state you live in comes and burns your crop. Wow. And so. So it's a a costly mistake. It's a very costly mistake. One way to get around that that people have been commonly doing is you go ahead and corn chop all your stuff all your plants so you throw stock and leaf and flower in all together and if you went from you know like a 10 percent material you're now down to like a six percent and now you're legal again because all that chopped up stock and everything lowered the total amount of THC so they're
3: essentially uh cutting in the kind of the plant that you don't that doesn't have any therapeutic value in order to reach dilute. Uh, to yeah, dilute it to dilute it in order to get the the concentration that they need.
2: That's right. And some people think I'm a pariah for this, but I'm going to say this. I would rather have a farmer cut a little bit early and be below the 0.3% than get it super high in CBD and have that THC go up. Sure. Because what ends up happening is as I get to the final end of my manufacturing process, I have to deal with that THC, right? Because if I've done my job well, yeah, sure, you got through the Department of Ag, But I'm going to extract every single molecule I can extract out of it, which means if you were hot, you know, before you chopped it, I'm going to get hot again through that whole process. And now I have to remediate a whole bunch of THC to get it back to being a legal state. And so more THC at the end of the day is not good, even if your CBD goes higher. So I encourage farmers, look, test regularly in your fields Right, Because also, if you don't have your testing done before it comes to my my shop, I'm going to test every single thing that comes in anyway because I don't want pesticides, I don't want heavy metals, I don't want mycotoxins, I don't want any of those other things that you would might find in somebody who's not being careful or organic or something like that. And so, Right. Um, I mean,
3: you don't want those in the lab. We don't want those in the final product we that we're selling to product. our customers, exactly. and they yeah. don't want it in the product that they're using. That's absolutely so, right. So starting at the very beginning, it's important to make sure uh, that you're starting out with, with good genetics, good processing, which I'm grateful to say we have. Yes. So, right. all right, oh. so you get it from the farm, and now it's in? To the manufacturing facility. Uh, So how does a consumer know
0: where this came from?
2: This is one reason why Farmer and Chemist is absolutely really amazing and super cool. Because we can trace back our final products all the way to what fields they came from, right? And so if you're buying online, how would you know? I mean, you could, I guess... Do a statistical analysis and say, "Well, Kentucky grew ten thousand acres, so likely it came from Kentucky." But,
3: but if you're online, you don't know where it came from. It could have come from, from U.S. No grower or ex U.S. grower. That's right. Uh, and, there's no and they may not have the same uh, testing or tracking on if you buy online. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Right, it's still still, totally wild west. That's right. And in Utah, Utah Utah's particularly interesting because we require, and not all states do this, we require that all final products have a certificate of analysis that show you everything that's contained in that product. Not all states require that. So if you're buying online, you could be getting something that has not been fully tested. And that's that's a fact.
4: I
3: mean, unless it's online from farmer and chemist
4: unless it's online
1: <laughs> well even if you're
4: buying online that's a li- that's a that's the point is 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 look for products that have that certificate of analysis
2: if they don't i would not buy a product yeah. that does not have a certificate you have no of no idea analysis where it's coming
4: where it's come from
2: from a legitimate lab that follow there's all these acronyms like glp and iso and all these things but like the point is a certified
0: lab it should have results for whatever final product exists so as you're, as you're talking a little bit about that, as you're going back from the field to the lab, what happens in the lab specifically? Okay, so,
2: so when I'm going to analyze flour, for example, um, the, the easiest, most common way to do that is you take about 100 milligrams worth of flour and then you grind it up so it's a nice pulp and you add it to 10 milliliters of methanol and then you shake it. And you, um, the, you can use any alcohol, really. And it extracts the oil out of that chopped up material. Now, careful. We don't want to <laughs> give the recipe away. I mean, careful. <laughs> this, is, this is why this episode is exciting, because I'll actually tell people how to do everything. And so you hey, could- Hey, wait, wait, wait. You could not everything, come on. do this all yourself. Come well, on. <laughs> it's funny you say this, Doug, because the whole industry treats all of these things like they're the biggest intellectual property that's ever existed since- humans began right like it's oh my gosh i can't let you know that i use a vta distillation machine or something like that like that in of itself is somehow makes your product unique that's just not true right um
3: i guess i gotta stop telling people our products unique
2: our product (laughs) hang on our product is unique because of how we formulate right on the things we do at the end of the process and how we get our purity those are that's the magic that's the stuff I won't talk about. Right? right on. Right, but just the fact that I used ethanol to extract—that's not intellectual property. That's just common. That's how you do things, <laughs> right? Um, but there's different ways to manufacture. So you. So once the it's cut down at the farm. Hopefully, it's all compliant, so they send me just beautiful flour, and the flour is going to be able to make it so I can make even better product because I don't have to start sifting out all this other biomass, right? Which we can do. We can do whatever, you know, we need to do for all these things. But um, once we get that, then we go ahead and do a very similar process. Back to the lab side, once you grind it up and so forth, then you use an instrument called a high-performance liquid chromatography machine. Uh, In short, it's called an HPLC. And from there, you can determine potency. And then for pesticide residues, you would use what's called a GC or a gas chromatography machine. And that will determine most of your pesticides. And then you would also want to use an ICP mass spectrometer to determine metal content. And so those, those are all expensive pieces of equipment that you could use to determine um, what's in your material.
1: I was just going to say, I uh, was writing down VT machine. VTA. Yes. Okay. Yep. You know, just... And I should save up how much money?
2: Oh, so most of the pieces of equipment I just mentioned minus the VTA. So we're talking HPLC, GC, and ICP mass spectrometer. I mean, you're in at least a million bucks.
1: All right, I'm calling my dad.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's an expensive game to get into when you're doing analytics. But as I said, it's worth it in the long run. In fact, I would say that any producer out there large manufacturing group if they don't have an analytics group i would also be very wary because they should be testing their product throughout the whole process so you know exactly what it is and where you're gaining efficiencies and and i can make arguments all day to the industry about why it makes sense to spend the money to do those things
0: does that answer your question about labs yes it does thank you very much now one of the things i was also once it's from the lab Then it goes through the process of of, uh,
3: the VTA, etc.
0: Right. We're
4: we're not to the VTA yet. Let's 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 just say we're the VTA.
0: (laughs) So, what happens after that?
2: Okay. So, after you get lab results back, you do extraction. So, there are traditionally several ways to extract. You can use CO2 extraction, you can do ethanol extraction, some have used hydrocarbon extraction. and then there's steam distillation, there's cold pressing, and there's a lot of different ways to do things. Um, but there's advantages and disadvantages of each. In the case of like butane extraction, you're using hydrocarbons, and one of the issues with hydrocarbons is you're leaving a residue on your material. Now, so
3: you're saying that I mean, like butane, you use to fire up your stove. That's right. And so it's you're talking about the same thing when you say you're leaving residue. You're essentially leaving butane res- residue. On the product. That's correct. Which, which we don't
2: do. No, we do not. Um, and the thing is, you know, clean operations can use hydrocarbons, but, um, and they will meet EPA minimum st- standards to say that they're below a certain amount of solvent. However, once you integrate, you know, hydrocarbons into your material, you can't get them all out, all 100%. So, yeah, you're going to ingest some of those things. Anyway, so we use an ethanol extraction um, with Farmer and Chemist. And then once you do that, um, depending on the um, type of process of extraction, you either have to go through a process of winterization. And winterization is basically where you pull out all your fats, waxes, and lipids, you know, all these various other things, proteins, biomass. You, you pull all of that stuff out so that you're left with just a very nice crude oil in ethanol.
3: But this is uh, this is the this is not the 101 version that I was anticipating, Blake. <laughs> this is more like the 1010 version.
2: of <laughs> Decarboxylation is really important, Doug. <laughs> um, the reason why it's so important, though, is because cannabinoids, when they have an acidic form still on them, and it's a carboxylic acid, it won't pass through the blood-brain barrier. So, when you're seeking to get relief for all the various ailments that you have. You need that to be able to get into your nerve cells. And so leaving the acidic form together makes it impossible for you to get all of the necessary treatment that you want to get. Okay, so it is
3: important. So you want product that is going to be effective. That's effective. uh, Which is why we wanted to do this podcast so that we could talk about how important it is to manufacture CBD in, in in the right way.
2: Because there's a whole bunch of products out on the market right now where people will say things like, we've left left this in its completely natural state. Which, what that really means is they took a crude oil and they made you a product out of crude. And that can be shady for a whole lot of reasons. Well,
3: and, and least of which is the body may not be able to use it.
2: That's absolutely right. And, you know, the fact that somebody says, well, it's all natural, which means it's better for your body, is just not true. There's lots of things that are natural that aren't good for your bodies, right? For example, one of the things that we talk a lot about in in the industry is terpenes. Terpenes are the flavonoids that you talk about, the smell. Something smells hempy or it has this, you know, texture or this experience with it. Lavender, people love the smell of lavender. That's just a terpene. There are some terpenes that, when mixed with water, will actually form acids and decay metal. Not in pharma and chemists. And chemists We remove all of those, right? <laughs> and so we can put natural terpenes back in. That's that's actually really easy to do. So decarboxylation basically allows. Now we're us... past
3: one ten. I mean, we're past ten ten chemistry class. This <laughs> is.
2: <laughs> hey, I haven't even drawn any molecules. Not that our our listeners would see them, but um, the last I'm thing I'm geeking I
1: was... out. I'm completely geeking out.
2: I hope so. I I like this stuff.
1: It's fascinating. I'm lost, but it's fascinating.
2: The decarboxylation basically makes the molecules usable. After you do that, so I know we've had a lot of steps here, but after that, you do distillation. And distillation is where you actually pull off your light oils versus your heavy oils, and what you're left with is all your cannabinoids. And so that's how you get really high purity. There are plenty of groups out there that sell what I call swamp water, which is this green goo that people sell, and they sell it trying to say like it's supernatural. And, it, and it's, you know, um, it's really cannabinoid content It's around 72%, which means there's 28% of things you can't account for, it's really hard to make medicine where I can't account for 28% of the things that are in there.
3: Right, that's that's bad news.
2: It's bad news. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, people like or groups like the FDA would be real hesitant to make a general ruling about CBD because as long as you have groups out there that are making 60% all the way to 95%, how do you regulate those? and regulate those in a way that's the same across the board because they're different products. They're right. completely different products. What I can honestly say is our distillates are always above 85 and usually in the the 90 percentile, 90s percentile, um, for cannabinoid content, which means there's very, very little other than cannabinoids in that distillate. Right on. And that is what allows us to make superior product And that's the magic that makes us different from everybody else because that is what allows us to do things that no one else can do.
3: Mic drop.
0: We're hanging out at the store today. We're at Farmer and Chemist, and Jason is the manager of the store. Tell us a little bit about your background.
4: Well, I can, as long as I can remember... Growing up in the pharmacy business, my grandfather started our first pharmacy in 1955, and so as long as I can recall, I've been in and around the pharmacy business. So I I know a fair amount about pharmacy and about medications and, and interactions and things of that nature.
0: How has this community and how has this job played into uh, your interaction with family and friends? And?
4: You know, to be honest, maybe at the beginning it was, uh, I had a few people say, what are you doing? Even my mother-in-law might have been questioning, like, what in the world's going on? What are you doing getting into the CBD world? But that's the importance, and one of the reasons why we are here is to help educate people and to talk about CBD and let them know what it is and how it can help them in their lives. So that's important. You know, we have a broad range of people that come in and they have specific questions about what is CBD. CBD is a pretty hot word at the moment. And I think there's a fair amount of information out there that is, can be misleading at some times. Uh, it's important for people to, to know what it is. And then, of course, how it works. And then the real importance is is finding good quality CBD. And that is really, really important. And that's one of the things that we're here for at Farmer and Chemist is to drive quality CBD along with dosing and helping people find the right dose for their ailment. As a lot of other CBD places, I think, are talking about uh, take a little bit of this, put it there, do this. Not a whole lot of information about how to take it, when to take it, and those very important things there. I think that's the key to what we're trying to do here.
0: So someone comes in the door, what are they going to see first?
4: I think they're pleasantly surprised to see that there's a a store that uh, gives them comfort that they feel comfortable to come into. An old 1940s pharmacy to get that feel of quality and cleanliness and just a good feeling that they have once they come in about what the product is. There are a lot of people that want to come in just to get information on what CBD is. And then there are some people that are brushed up pretty good on their uh, understanding of CBD that we'd like to talk with and help broaden their uh, understanding even more.
0: If I'm a customer and I I really don't know anything about CBD, what can you tell me?
4: Yeah, that's the key. I like to hear that when people come in because we like to talk about CBD And the thing that we are really driven on is we have the quality information out there where we have a great sources of information from pharmacists to doctors to chemists that know it, know it well, and know everything you need to know about it for a patient. So we have that great ability to help patients uh, understand all they want to know about CBD
0: What you said there was very important. First of all, if you come in, you're talking to a pharmacist or you're talking to a pharmacy technician, correct? Correct. Tell me a little bit about, have there been some crazy questions? Have there been some uh, things that have maybe thrown you for a loop that kind of caught you
4: off guard a little bit? Well, I've had some fun. A sweet older lady came in one day and kind of acted like... She didn't really want to be seen. She kind of snuck in and I talked to her and I said, "Hi, can I help you?" And she said, "I have a couple questions." And she whispered to me and I said, "Sure." And she said, "First of all, is this is this legal?" And I said to her, "No, it's not, and please don't tell anyone we're here." <laughs> so she was cute. She laughed and she goes, "Oh, well, of course, if you're right here on the corner, you know, to let everyone see, then obviously it's legal. But it's funny how some people still have that perception that it is not. And, you know, the difference between CBD and the difference between medical marijuana and THC and all of those things are kind of a, a tough uh, road to map out if you're not too familiar with it. So right. we love to educate people. We've had some Some great conversations and people coming in. Education is pretty important. You know, the the keys are, again, understanding what we're dealing with and what phytocannabinoid means and what even CBD means and what's THC. And so that's what's wonderful is we have brilliant people involved here that can answer any questions that people do have. So it's important to answer that. A lot of people are looking for answers that... uh, are getting conflicting information here and there. And so we are able to help drive those questions and those answers for people.
0: Someone who's listening to this podcast might want to go to farmerandchemist.com
4: and order order some product. How would that work? Yeah, very easy. Uh, A couple of things about that. We love being online. We have great products, but we have a lot of products. So I think it's important to have a little bit of education about what might be best for someone. And so if you're looking online, um, most people are pretty capable to figure out, you know, what they want to do or what they, what they need, but oftentimes we were able to help guide people to a, a better alternative for dosing and uh, topical versus oral. It's very important to, uh, you know, know, know what would be the best, and we're really wanting to help people out, especially uh, economically, too, as finding out what would be the best uh, course to go about CBD. Uh,
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate it. My pleasure.